Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue, and we're coming to you from the campus of Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. With immigration a top-of-mind issue all over the world, Dr. Andrei Korobkov, a political science and international affairs professor, and two colleagues from Russia, Professor Nikolai Sluka and Pavel Ivanov, have looked into Chinese immigration to Europe. Their article, The Chinese Diaspora in the EU Countries, was published in 2018 in the academic journal Baltic Region. They examined which countries receive the most Chinese immigrants and why, what the Chinese diaspora is like, and what the diaspora wants. The Chinese in Europe and why it matters, after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. Dr. Frank Michello accepted the 2019 John Pless Faculty Recognition Award February 21st at the Ingram Center. Michello, who is a director of the Master of Science in Finance program in the Jennings A. Jones College of Business, boasts more than 30 years of experience teaching mathematics and finance. The John Pless Faculty Award is presented each year to a black faculty member who has demonstrated excellence in teaching, research, and service. The award is named for John Pless, an MTSU professor emeritus of psychology. Foreign firms invested more than $1.5 billion in Tennessee last year, the fourth time in five years foreign investment reached or exceeded that mark, according to the latest Global Commerce Report from MTSU's Business and Economic Research Center. With this investment, foreign-owned firms created just over 3,000 new jobs, the report noted. The largest single investment was Volkswagen's initiation of a new SUV line at its Chattanooga assembly plant. Japan, however, continued to be the source of the lion's share of investment coming in from abroad. Five Japanese companies invested over $600 million in this state last year. The total announced investment was smaller than that of 2017. However, the 2017 amount was the highest in a decade. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Welcome back, Andre. Thank you. How many Chinese have moved to Europe, and why are Chinese moving to the European Union countries today? As a matter of fact, Chinese diaspora in Europe is uh, not that uh, huge. Uh, Chinese uh, represent about 3% of the overall number of migrants who came to Europe from outside that region. 3% out of s- uh, roughly 76 million. It's a huge number. But China currently is one of three uh, major countries of uh, out-migration. So uh, India ranks first, China second, and Mexico uh, is now in the third place. Well, Mexico yet five years ago was number one. So uh, the number of uh, Chinese is relatively small for Europe, but it is steadily growing. And uh, we shouldn't uh, forget that among uh, those migrants, are um, many of those 2.6 million, so 200, uh, 2,600,000 Chinese students who went to study to the West uh, since the beginning of China's opening in the 1970s. Uh, and uh, uh, roughly million and a half have stayed in the West, million uh, 100,000 came back to China. And right now China starts to develop an elaborate policy uh, to work with these people either to bring them home 
or uh, work with them where they are. Uh, and, uh, uh, well, it is working now not with the Chinese that lived, uh, say, in the West 40 years ago, but with a very uh, high-income, diversified, uh, well-positioned diaspora. And for China, it is becoming an element of soft power. Uh, so, well, promoting Chinese political interests uh, through uh, members of this diaspora. They define it as serving uh, your country, your motherland, uh, from where you are. And it became a very important mechanism of state policy. What countries have the immigration policies and economies that are most favorable or attractive to the Chinese? There are two probably issues here. First, uh, uh, demand for labor, and second, the uh, general atmosphere, so uh, more liberal uh, general regime, human rights, uh, the level of corruptness of the police, uh, traditional uh, tolerance of societies, uh, and the further you go to the east, the less uh, you see those features that migrants, regardless of their nationality, are looking for. But uh, Chinese uh, uh, come to work and settle in large numbers to Russia, and Russia right now has completely reversed its uh, role in the uh, worldwide migration network and became uh, uh, one of three major receiving centers of uh, for migrants worldwide. So the United States is in the first place with uh, the number of migrants coming close to 50 million. And it is followed by uh, Russia and Germany uh, that have in excess of 12 million migrants right now in their territory. Migrants are defined as people who were not born in a country where they live. When you talk about soft power, are you talking about a sort of concerted effort from the Chinese government to have the Chinese in diaspora in the EU nations uh, working on certain specific things in concert with the Chinese government while they are in the country to which they have migrated. Yes, uh, these and also uh, a mechanism of cultural influence, so um, producing more sympathy to China, to Chinese culture, to Chinese politics. All this uh, uh, is more increasingly visible in the policies of Chinese government. And this not always was so. So there was always a visible uh, out-migration from China, although, for example, we shouldn't forget that in the U.S., the first openly discriminatory law in migration sphere that was adopted was the act on the Chinese exclusion in the 1880s, when Chinese were completely banned from migrating to the U.S., and the naturalization of Chinese living in, in the U.S. also was banned for a while. And uh, uh, this ban de facto existed uh, at the end of 19th century, uh, during the first half of the 20th century, started to be removed after 1945, uh, but then uh, another factor started to work. It's the policies of the communist government that have blocked migration. And uh, it came back only uh, with the death of Mao and then coming to power in the second half of the 1970s. But even then, uh, well, the policy uh, was uh, differentiated in regard to particular groups, people who left with government permit without it, highly qualified, non-qualified, 
children of migrants and so on. Uh, but right now, uh, increasingly, this diaspora is being viewed by the Chinese government as already a mechanism uh, to promote Chinese political interests. And this, uh, the size of this group will continue to grow. Uh, this is inevitable right now. There is a lot of uh, hysteria in the United States in regard to Hispanic migration in Europe, in regard to Muslim migration. But Chinese migration would continue to grow in both cases. And these diasporas will grow both uh, uh, well on the basis of demographic factors, uh, um, birth of uh, new uh, Chinese uh, in Chinese f uh, families and through mechanical growth through immigration. This is totally inevitable. Meanwhile, there are two interesting processes here. First, uh, uh, it is that uh, all major immigration countries right now, including the United States, are tightening the screws, are uh, doing uh, many things to limit immigration uh, to their regions, or at least to move in the direction similar to that of Canada or Australia. So introduction of some kind of point system to give advantage to highly qualified migrants and essentially cut off all the others. Uh, former president of France, Nicolas Sarkozy, already more than 10 years ago, he has said uh, highly cynical, but kind of succinct, uh, uh, well, phrase. He said, there are two types of migration, the suffered one and the desired one. So um, by the desired, he meant highly qualified migrants that themselves belong to three separate categories. First, these are uh, professional elites and academics. Second, uh, are educational migrant students. And third, increasingly uh, investment migrants, when people de facto buy citizenship or green card through investment of huge amounts of money uh, in a country's economy, no questions asked about the origin of this money. And then everybody else becomes uh, the suffered migrants from the point of view of receiving states. These are family unification uh, migrants, these are low qualified migrants, uh, uh, well, illegal migrants, and also refugees. Countries uh, have to accept them because they signed international agreements. But Western countries show less and less enthusiasm about bringing in such migrants. And uh, uh, unfortunately, we can say for sure that this trend will continue to become more and more visible. And uh, the leading countries would continue to separate migrants uh, struggling for highly qualified ones and trying to get rid of all the other categories. We'll take a break right here. We'll be back. Tennessee's farm families contribute to our state's economy, nutrition, and culture. The Tennessee Century Farms Program at MTSU's Center for Historic Preservation acknowledges farms that have been in the same family at least 100 years. To date, the program has certified more than 1,500 farms. There's no cost to nominate a farm or be part of the program. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. This is MTSU on the Record. The Tennessee Employment Relations Research Association, or TERRA, gives labor relations specialists and academics a chance to share their views and their data. TERRA wants academics and other interested in human resources and industrial relations to work together at meetings and conferences to strengthen the workplace. Many MTSU faculty belong to Terra, which has members in 20 states and 7 nations. 
For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking about Chinese immigrating to the EU countries with Dr. Andre Karabkov of the Department of Political Science and International Affairs. You mentioned in the article the Chinese diaspora in the in the EU countries, uh, a phrase "model minority" as a stereotype. Are these the uh, educated elites that? to which you're referring as the people in the EU countries view them? The uh, higher educated people. But the Chinese in general, they do not get involved in any kind of mass political actions. Uh, They are trying to get assimilated as quickly as possible. So, So learn language, follow local cultural traditions and uh, uh, are religiously very dis- distant from Europeans. And in this sense, they are perceived as much safer and quieter than, for example, newly coming Muslim uh, groups that profess their uh, religion uh, quite openly, that do not assimilate, kind of stand by their traditions uh, that uh, arrive right now and mass in much larger numbers. And, uh, uh, yes, uh, Chinese are viewed as a much safer option by most European governments. And then, on the other hand, you also use the phrase mutually reinforcing cleavages in which people stay apart, a sort of stay-in-your-place mentality on the part of the Europeans. Yes, mutually reinforcing cleavages is one of the key uh, concepts in classical uh, political science. It uh, uh, defines uh, uh, a situation in which belonging to one group presumes belonging to the other. So uh, if you are, uh, for example, uh, belonging to a particular ethnicity, you should be poor, less educated, you should have a particular religion, language, and so on. Uh, And uh, usually when uh, the situation is marked by such mutually reinforcing cleavages, when Belonging to one group means that you also belong to the other, and as a result, the separation of groups uh, sharply increases. Uh, Usually, it leads to trouble. Again, in regard to the Chinese, for example, um, they can be poor, they can be wealthy, they can be well-educated, they can be less uh, educated, they uh, eagerly and quickly learn local language, are trying to uh, follow local uh, cultural traits, and in this sense, uh, uh, there is uh, less of a probability to uh, for uh, mutually reinforcing cleavages to emerge. They become cross-cutting. Belonging to one group does not mean that you belong to the other. If you speak Chinese, it doesn't mean that you are for sure rich or poor, uh, well-educated or not. Uh, And uh, uh, the problem with the current migration, for example, to Europe from uh, the Muslim countries, uh, they not simply move from the Muslim countries. They very often move from the countries that were former colonies of particular countries. For example, Arabs moved for a very long time from northern Africa to France from uh, the Caribbean or West Africa to the United Kingdom, from uh, Indonesia to the Netherlands. And the policies of recent years, while uh, the terms that were used uh, sounded very nice, for example, multiculturalism, integration, uh, in practice meant something very different. 
migrants were dumped in particular uh, mono-industrial towns to work at a particular plant. They lived among themselves. They did not have ability to acquire local language, uh, to uh, get familiar with local cultures. And cleavages were deepening and uh, uh, belonging to a particular ethnic group also increasingly meant belonging to a particular educational and social group. And here you uh, go while you get uh, social explosions in France and a number of other countries. And uh, uh, while uh, very frequently blaming migrants, uh, the uh, receiving site does not pay attention to its own policies that have led to such uh, uh, results. And basically, uh, integration de facto meant not integration, but vice versa, separation. Time for another break. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Concrete Industry Management Program at MTSU fills the need for trained personnel who know concrete technology and techniques. Our alumni go into the marketplace grounded in basic math and science and able to promote products or services related to the industry. Our participation in the academic common market ensures talented students in other states a chance to enroll on an in-state tuition basis. This is Dr. Heather Brown, director of the program. To find out more information on this or other university programs, visit mtsunews.com. The Tennessee Early Childhood Training Alliance, or TECTA, works to improve the quality of child care in Tennessee by establishing a statewide training and professional recognition system. Through TECTA, child care providers may be eligible for free orientation training, tuition support for early childhood academic courses, and networking opportunities, as well as other services. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking about the Chinese diaspora in the EU countries, an article written for the academic journal Baltic Region by Professor Nikolai Sluka, Pavel Ivanov, both of whom are with Moscow State University in Russia, and with our own Dr. Andrei Korobkov, who is a political science and international affairs professor here. Is the increase in monetary investment in Europe part of a national strategy on the part of China, or is it just a personal investor self-interest? Both. Uh, China very actively works on buying assets basically all over the world, but of course Europe interested a lot. Uh, China is very aggressively right now uh, developing uh, its connections with East Africa, with Latin America. There's a lot being uh, said, for example, about uh, Russian military presence in Venezuela. But ironically, Chinese investment in Venezuela is five times larger than that of Russia. And China acquires uh, control over particular segments of uh, Venezuelan economy, for example. And the same happens in other countries. So it is a complex strategy that includes state-generated investment and uh, targets particular industries. Uh, that includes migration and private investment that also is encouraged to operate in particular uh, areas of economies of particular countries. And yes, China is very actively buying specific assets in Europe. Uh, the Chinese rich are very aggressively buying the uh, real estate in major European cities and resort towns. So it is a combination of those three factors, basically. Does the ongoing Brexit crisis make it easier for China to make advances in this area? 
Probably yes, because there there is uh, panic. Uh, some invest uh, is investors get rid of their packages and Chinese buy them on uh, favorable conditions. They have invested huge amounts of money in in the city in London and uh, are uh, targeting uh, high-end real estate in London as well. And they will continue taking advantage of this situation. Do you see European immigration policies changing as a result of the influx of Chinese immigrants in the near future, either uh, tightening up either discriminately allowing in only the elites for the top jobs or indiscriminately just on the basis of ethnicity. If we talk about Europe in general and China specifically, no. Uh, Europeans would continue to perceive uh, the Chinese in um, the time to come as a more desirable migrant group than most others that are coming. As I mentioned already, uh, traditionally, uh, European countries, major European countries, are where bringing, first of all, people from their former colonies, now independent states. Uh, and uh, initially, these were very liberal policies. They needed labor in 1950s, 1960s, and they offered some legal preferences to people from the former colonies. And then uh, these policies started to become increasingly prohibitive, Europe right now has two very different immigration regimes, uh, Europe without borders internally and fortress Europe for the outsiders. So it becomes harder to get European visa, but if you've got one, you can travel freely within Europe. If you're a European citizen or permanent resident, you can, uh, within the so-called Schengen area, travel freely, settle freely, and work in private sector freely as well. Uh, so uh, in this sense, there is a contradiction to some extent in European migration policy. It becomes increasingly liberal internally and increasingly prohibited for the outsiders. And Europeans, uh, whatever they say for the public, are becoming more and more discriminatory towards anybody who does not belong to one of those three categories that I mentioned. So highly qualified migrants, including academics, educational migrants who bring knowledge, who bring money to uh, pay tuition in many countries, not in all, uh, but in many countries, and who can be groomed to stay uh, in those countries later if they represent real uh, significance for, say, national economy or science and so on. And third, and the most controversial of all categories, the investment migrants, people who de facto buy their status and uh, uh, they bring large investments, but uh, at the same time, very often, exactly these people have a kind of murky past. So the Brits were bringing them in large numbers. Right now, they finally started asking questions. There emerged new uh, countries that are willingly taking them. This is Cyprus. This is Greece. This is a number of uh, many states in Europe, such as Andorra or Liechtenstein or even Luxembourg. Uh, and uh, this policy will continue to uh, evolve in the same direction. Basically, we can talk right now about two separate migrant flaws in the world, highly qualified migration and everybody else. There is a constant struggle for the first group 
and there is the increasing resistance discrimination against the second group. And basically, it is clear that uh, major receiving countries will continue to push their migration policies in the direction similar to that of Canada and Australia. In other words, towards a model of points system. When you have to acquire a particular number of points, if you get them, then you practically automatically get status. If you don't, doors are closed for you. And you get huge advantage uh, if you have education, if you have profession that is needed by a country, if uh, you have uh, children or uh, you uh, are young and can have them in the future. And uh, uh, we see that American migration policy basically is moving in the same direction. With immigration such a hot issue in both Europe and the United States, why have we heard relatively little about this aspect of the issue in the popular media? Because uh, uh, of the way it was framed by Trump and then by his opponents. Uh, basically, uh, the irony is that Trump, to a large extent, continues the policies of his predecessors. But as uh, everything he is doing, he is doing it uh, with in a scandalous form. So the emphasis uh, is on uh, building the wall and not on substantive a- aspects of policy. Uh, meanwhile, uh, in general, migration policy, again, migration reform is moving in the same direction. These are the attempts to uh, create some privileges for qualified migrants and to close doors for everybody else. Of course, uh, under Trump, there emerged a new component, ethnic religious component, when uh, migration was completely blocked from a number of Muslim countries, including uh, the flow of refugees. Um, and Trump has got, uh, cut the number of refugees allowed in the country pretty significantly. But overall, uh, the, his policy goes in the same direction. And this is pretty cynical approach, we can say, but it does not differ from the approach of other major receiving migrants countries. Dr. Andre Korobkov of MTSU. Thanks, Andre. Thank you. We'll be right back. The MTSU Department of Art has the newest facility for visual arts in the state with approximately 50,000 square feet of space, including high-tech computers and computer-driven equipment for multimedia, graphic design, printmaking, sculpture, painting, and ceramics. We feature a visiting artist lecture program and an exhibition program that exposes students to work by national and international artists. To find out more, visit mtsunews.com. The American Democracy Project is a nonprofit initiative which strives for greater voter registration and civic participation among young people at MTSU and at campuses nationwide. Through encouragement from professors and peers, young adults are shown the value of being more active citizens in their community, their state, and their nation. ADP seeks to nurture programs that raise the campus community's level of engagement with society. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Gina Fan has the middle moment. 
Three innovative performers will join MTSU School of Music jazz faculty to teach student musicians and perform in concerts March 14th through the 16th as MTSU celebrates its Illinois Jacquet Jazz Festival, honoring a gifted saxophonist whose 60-year-plus career deeply influenced artists in jazz, R&B, and rock and roll. MTSU Jazz Studies Director Jamie Simmons explains what makes our event unique. We do things a little bit differently here at our festival. It's not necessarily a trophy chase for bands coming in. It is a day where students can come and play in a combo directed by one of our teachers. It's sort of a mini jazz camp in one day. They'll experience a clinic by our guest artist representing different instruments. At night is usually our headline concert. And this year will feature Grammy Award-winning drummer Jeff Tane Watts. We're really excited to have this festival going on this year. It's such an amazing level of musicianship. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.